morning. Uh, first, I wanted to thank uh, Phil uh, for his invitation. Uh, it's really a great pleasure to be here with you all. Uh, before the sermon, let's pray first. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for saving, saving us in your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross on our behalf to endure all the sufferings and the penalties of our sins. Dear Heavenly Father, we also thank you for giving us the privilege of being your children, enjoying your fellowship with you. Dear Father, bless us today as we are gathering together to worship you and to listen to your word. May your spirit dwell among us and guide us into your word. May your spirit open our mind and our heart such that we not only understand your word, but also receive it wholeheartedly as the bread of life. Bless us all. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The church tradition honors the apostle Peter as one of the greatest leaders of the early church. Today, we are going to look at a story about Peter in the Gospel of Mark. However, it is not about his great achievement. It's about his failure. In fact, it's about his ultimate failure, the failure in its utmost height. It's Peter's denial of Jesus. It's really hard to believe that Peter, known as the pillar of the church, once denied, denied Jesus completely before the accusation of a female servant who is a person of no power in Israel. And it's even more harder to believe that instead of hiding his scandal of their greatest leader, instead of covering his failure, Mark recorded it in his gospel and made it known not only by the people in their own generation, but also in the generations to come. Why he did that? We usually tend to protect our beloved leaders. We tend to cover their failures. But why did Mark expose the failure of the greatest leader of the early church, whom he loved most? Why he did that? We will look at the story today. The title for the sermon today is Peter's Denial of Jesus. And the main idea of the sermon is that our covenantal relationship with God is established and sustained not by our faithfulness, but by the faithfulness of Christ on our behalf. Therefore, let us humble ourselves and seek grace to stand firm as a faithful follower of Christ in any circumstance, 
that is hostile to our Christian faith. Now let's go through the text. Uh, the story today is simple and concise. It consists of three scenes. The first scene is verses 66a. It provides the setting for the entire story. The second thing is verses 66b through 71. It tells us Peter's threefold denial of Jesus. And the last thing is verse 72, reporting to us Peter's remorse of what he has done. Let, let's go through these things briefly. 66a says, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, it tells us the location of the story. When Jesus was arrested and taken to the residence of the high priest, Mark tells us that Peter followed him from afar all the way to the courtyard, while Peter was sitting uh, with the, guy, the, 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 the guards warming him, himself at the fire. While Jesus was on trial before the religious leaders uh, in Israel, in the upper room of the residence of the high priest. So this setting tells us that the fact that the trial of Jesus and Peter's denial of Jesus coincide. When Jesus was on trial, before the religious leaders of Jews in the upper room, Peter denied, denied him before the charge of a servant girl below in the courtyard. So literally, there are two different trials going on in the residence of the high, the high priest. There is an official trial of Jesus before the religious leaders of the Jews in the upper room there is also an unofficial trial of Peter before a servant girl of the high priest below in the court. The results are so different. Jesus is faithful to his father and the mission entrusted to him. But Peter denies Jesus, his Lord, unfaithfully, who is going to die on the cross on his behalf. So, there is a sharp contrast between Jesus, the faithful son of God, and the unfaithful, and the Peter, unfaithful follower of Christ. This is the first thing. The second thing is the threefold charge against Peter, followed by Peter's threefold denial of Jesus. When Peter was warming himself, at the fire, a servant girl saw Peter, and then she came to him, and then she looked at him, saying with confidence, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. She must see uh, Peter uh, before. We don't know when and where he saw Peter with Jesus but she recognized him as being one of disciples of Jesus. 
Mark does not give us her name and position, but according to the Gospel of John, she is a doorkeeper. In the world, she is a person of no power and of no importance in Israel. Yet, her charge against Peter is so powerful that Peter. The greatest leader of the church even does not dare acknowledge his discipleship before this servant girl. Here again, we see a sharp contrast between Jesus and Peter. Although Jesus、uh, is on trial before the high priest, the most powerful man in Israel, he acknowledges his sonship boldly when. He is questioned with a question that whether he is the son of the blessed. In the sharp contrast to Jesus, Peter, while facing a female servant of no power in Israel, cowardly denies Jesus, denies his discipleship. Peter says. I neither neither know nor understand what you mean. What does Peter mean here? He completely denies his personal relationship with Jesus before this female servant. After realizing his discipleship was exposed, he feels anxiety for his safety. He finds he cannot. Continue to stay in the crowd at the fire without being confronted by the same charge. Therefore, he stands up and goes out to the gateway, where he might think、uh, there might be less、uh, people who can recognize him, which means it is a safer place to stay at there. Mark intentionally. Tells us that when Peter moves to gateway, the rooster crows. However, Peter fails to notice that he completely forgets Jesus' prophecy about him, that in that night, before the rooster crows twice, he will deny him three times. It seems that Peter's heart. Is filled with anxiety for his safety, rather than the word of Jesus. Fear just grasps him that he even cannot remember Jesus' prophecy told him that night. However, Gateway is not a safer place as Peter thought. The same female who charged him previously. Sees him again, and charges him again. However, the difference、uh, is that this time she does not charge Peter privately. Instead, she makes her charge public. She says to the bystanders that Peter is one of them. Now Peter got a situation. His discipleship is not just known by the female girl, female servant. 
but also by bystanders around him. He realize, realizes that he is put in a more dangerous situation. So he immediately denies the charge that he is one of the disciples of Jesus. This is the second denial. However, his second denial only makes him safe for a little while. The bystanders feel he is super suspicious. You know, there is an old thing in Chinese. The harder you draw a line, the thicker the line is. What does that mean? It means that the, the more you try to vindicate yourself, in a different, difficult situation, the more suspicious you are. It seems that Peter is doing the same thing here. The more he tries to deny his discipleship, the more people feel he is suspicious. So, those who are standing around Peter decide not to let Peter go. They said to Peter, Certainly, you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now they come to a certain conclusion that Peter is for sure one of the disciples of Jesus. And they, they know it because they know Peter is a Galilean. Mark does not tell us how do they know Peter uh, is a Galilean. But according to Matthew, they know it because of Peter's unique Galilean accent. Now the situation becomes more and more dangerous to Peter. The more he feels dangerous, the harder he is to deny Jesus. Unlike the previous denials, this time, he begins to call down curses and to swear an oath. I don't know this man of whom you speak. It is identical to something like this. May I be cursed if I'm lying. In order to convince others that he is not one of the disciples of Jesus, he is here pronouncing curse upon himself. This is Peter's third denial of Jesus. It's so radical. John Calvin says, says it well. Quote, In his third denial, Peter's unfaithfulness to his master reached its utmost height. In order to save himself from the hands of man, Peter denies Jesus, his only savior, completely and wholeheartedly. After Peter denies Jesus, the rooster immediately crows a second time. And Mark tells us that Peter remembers what Jesus has prophesied said to him. Again, Mark does not tell us how Peter remembers Jesus' prophecy about him this time. 
However, according to the Gospel of Luke, when the rooster crowed a second time, a second time, Jesus, who was on trial in the upper room, turned and looked at Peter. And that look of Jesus reminded Peter of、uh, Jesus' prophecy about him. That look of Jesus shatters his heart. So he went out and wept bitterly. This is the story of Peter's、uh, unfaithfulness. According to the tradition, church tradition, the Gospel of Mark was written according to Peter's own testimony. If this tradition is accurate, and I believe it is accurate, then we should ask a question: Why Peter? Allowed his failure in its utmost height to be recorded in Mark's Gospel. Why the most prominent leader of the early church allowed his scandal to be known by、uh, people not only in his own generation but also in the generations to come. What do Mark and Peter as well intend to teach us? Through this story, to put it differently, what is the theological meaning of this story in the entire redemptive history, and what is its practical meaning in our daily lives? Well, at least we can come up with three points.、Uh, first, the account of unfaithfulness of Peter is meant. To stress the faithfulness of Jesus, by which alone our covenant relationship with God is established and sustained. As I have mentioned before, Mark presents a sharp contrast between the faithfulness of Jesus and the unfaithfulness of Peter. While Jesus was charged by the high priest. The most powerful Jew in Israel. In the upper room, Peter was charged by a female servant, the least powerful person, below in the courtyard. These two charges happened simultaneously in the same building. Yet only Jesus demonstrated himself as the faithful Son of God, who endured. The unjust trial and the contempt of man in his obedience to the will of his father. Mark recorded Peter's failure not to shame Peter, but to highlight the faithfulness of Jesus. Mark wants to show us that when Peter, the greatest leader of the church, is unfaithful. Christ, the head of the church, is still faithful, and his faithfulness wins the salvation for his unfaithful church, in order to make her faithful. This is Mark's intention、uh, of recording the failure of Peter. It is important to be noted that there is a common pattern. In the Bible, 
that each time when God makes covenant with his people, they almost become unfaithful immediately to the covenant after it is made, which usually brings uh, disastrous consequences to the covenant community. Uh, let me give you some examples. Soon after God made a covenant with Adam in the Garden of Eden, he became unfaithful to the covenant by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God forbade them to eat. We have an unfaithful covenant ahead here. And also, not long after God made the covenant with Noah, he got himself drunk, causing his son Ham to be cursed for not respecting his father. After God made a covenant with Abraham, he brought his wife, his beautiful wife, Sarah, to Egypt in order to save himself. He lied to the Pharaoh that his beautiful wife was just his sister. As a result, Pharaoh took Sarah as his wife. It's terrible. Not long after God made a covenant with Israel on the mountain of Sinai, the Israelites started worshiping the golden calf at the foot of the mountain, which is a great offense to the covenant God. Also, not, not long after God made a covenant with David, he committed the sins of adultery and murder. In Peter's story, we see the same pattern. Just a few hours before Jesus was betrayed and arrested, he made a new covenant with his disciples during the feast of Passover. However, not long after the covenant was made, perhaps in just a few hours, Peter denied Jesus three times, declaring that he did not know him at all. It's not just Peter's own failure. Peter is the representative of uh, disciples of the church. So it's literally the failure of the church of Christ. So it proves that Peter is a covenant breaker. Now these examples show us a common pattern that the making of God's covenant is usually followed by the failure or unfaithfulness of his covenant people. What does this pattern teach us? It teaches us the fact that our covenant relationship with God is sustained not by our faithfulness to the covenant, but by God's faithfulness to the covenant. Because God is faithful, therefore we will not perish. As a fallen man, we are unfaithful to God by nature. We are by nature 
covenant breakers. Each time when we sin, we are violating the requirements of the covenant, which literally means we are breaking the covenant. So the reason why we are still in the covenant relationship with God because, is because of Jesus' faithfulness to the covenant. Again, it is important to be noted that the covenant we have entered with God was made with Jesus and in Him with us. So, Jesus is our covenant head or representative. He has fulfilled all the requirements of the covenant on our behalf by showing God His faithfulness the faithfulness we are not able to offer. In other words, because Jesus is faithful, we are counted as faithful also by God in our union with him by faith. It is the faithful of Christ that establishes our relationship with God and also sustains it. This is the reason why our relationship with God is called the covenant of grace. It is not our works, but the work of Christ that brings us into the covenant union and communion with triune God. Peter's failure points us to Christ, whose faithfulness alone fulfills and sustains our covenant relationship with God. So, the account of Peter's failure is meant to highlight the faithfulness of Christ. Second, the account of Peter's failure is meant to stress our weakness and neediness. When Jesus predicts Peter's denial, Peter responds with a bold claim. He says, Even everyone falls, Jesus, I will never fall. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. This is a bold claim. I don't doubt Peter's willingness to follow Jesus, but here he undoubtedly underestimates his weakness. He's been unable to pray and watch even for one hour with Jesus in Gethsemane, exposes his weakness. His lack of strength to pray and watch makes him vulnerable to fall into the temptation. The fact, there is another fact that uh, shows his weakness. He followed Jesus at a distance on his way to the residence of the high priest. It's an irony that he claimed previously that he would like to die with Jesus, but now he even does not dare to stay close to Jesus. He, lack, he, he 
lacks courage to stay with Jesus, let alone to die with him. His weakness finally finds its full expression in his threefold denial of Jesus. St. Augustine has a very profound insight into Peter's story. He, think, he thinks that Peter's spiritual life after his fall is healthier than his spiritual life before the fall. Augustine's view is correct. Christians are spiritually healthiest not when he confidently declares, even if everyone falls, Jesus, I will never fall. I'm willing to die for you. Christians are spiritually healthiest when they confess in front of Jesus, O oh Lord, please have mercy on me. Because at this time, we began to realize that we need Christ. This is Christian life all about. We are weak, weak, therefore we are needy. God uses our weakness to remind us of our neediness so that we may rely on Jesus alone rather than on ourselves. Our weakness, therefore, points us away from ourselves. It points us to the all-sufficient Christ. Therefore, acknowledging our weakness is not a shame. Instead, it is the way to strength. It is the way to victory. Dear brothers and sisters, let us not despise Peter and his failure. Because when we see Peter, we see ourselves. Peter's failure is a mirror in which we see our own weakness. We are just as weak as Peter. We are just as needy as Peter. Without God's grace, just like Peter, we will immediately fall in the times of persecution. When we are talking about persecution, it is true that many Christians today do not need to face fierce persecution. Few Christians today are forced to choose between Christ and uh, imprisonment or execution. In a society with democracy that we have today, we have religious liberty. We have freedom to express our uh, religious beliefs, even though the religious liberty is gradually undermined by uh, the, the contemporary political movement, we still have a certain degree of liberty, uh, religious liberty. We have the protection of our first amendment of constitution. So, we probably not are not going to face persecution. Yet it does not mean 
we are immune to the denial of Jesus in the democratic society. The denial of Jesus, we need to uh, know the fact, this fact. It does not originate from the external environment. The external environment, the hostile environment, is only a situation. It originates from our heart, our sinful heart, our unfaithful heart. As long as we are still a, a sinful, unfaithful um, sinners, we are prone to deny Jesus in the times of trial, in the times of persecution. We can think it how many times we feel shameful to acknowledge our Christian faith before those who despise our faith, who are in power. How many times we are silent because we uh, try not to offend different religious groups. How many times we try to make our faith a private matter and not to connect it to our public life. So there are many subtle forms of denying Christ. So we still have the same problem that Peter had. But we need to remember, it's okay to find the weakness inside us. And it's also okay to feel the pressure to live out a Christian life before others as a disciple of Jesus, because that's who we are. Let's turn away from our weakness and turn to all-sufficient Christ for help to be his faithful followers. May God help us all. Third, the account of Peter's failure is meant to show us the hope of restoration. The end of Peter's story shows us that Peter wept bitterly for his denial of Jesus. It's really a tragic story. It tells us the ultimate failure of the greatest leader of the early church. It's sad to see our great, greatest leader falling. Yet, it is not without hope of restoration. Although the text itself does not mention Peter's restoration, as readers, we all know that he was not lost, but restored. This has already been indicated in Jesus' promise. He says, you will all fall away, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus first predicts the fall of his disciples after he uh, is being rested. 
And then he promises them that there will be a reunion between him and his disciples in Galilee after he is being raised up. It indicates that Peter's relationship with Jesus will be restored. Therefore, unlike Judas' fall, that is permanent. Peter's fall is temporal. And the book of Acts also provides the evidence for Peter's restoration. In Acts, we see that Peter is no longer a coward disciple who denied Jesus even before a female servant's execution. Rather, the book of Acts describes Peter as a spirit-filled apostle of Jesus Christ who preaches the gospel fearlessly, regardless of the persecution of the most powerful religious leaders in Israel. According to the church tradition, Peter was crucified in Rome during the, the persecution of the Emperor Nero. He kept his vow, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Indeed, he took up his cross and followed Jesus as his faithful disciple. So Peter is completely restored after the resurrection of Jesus. <clears throat> Dear brothers and sisters, the account of Peter's failure is meant to show us the hope of restoration. Again, Calvin puts it well. He says, Peter's fall is highly useful to comfort those who have fallen by holding out to them the hope of pardon. It's true. Then we have some questions. Is it okay to sin? No, it's absolutely not. Although God's grace is sufficient for us, it does not mean grace becomes an excuse for our sin. This is a misuse of grace. Grace leads us to repentance. Grace helps us to fight against sin. Grace help, helps us to stop sinning against God. Grace is not meant to make us sinful. Rather, it is meant to make us holy. This is the right use of grace. Then there is another question. Is there a second chance or a hope of restoration? The answer is yes. As Calvin tries to emphasize here, there is always a hope of restoration for those who have fallen into sin. God is the God of second chance, who does not will sinners to perish, but wills them to be saved by way of repentance. So no matter what sin we are experiencing now, no matter how ugly they are, let us not lose the hope that there is grace of restoration for sinners in Jesus Christ. 
Let us turn away from our sin and turn to the grace of restoration in Jesus for forgiveness and for growth in holiness. So the, the account of Peter's failure stresses the hope of restoration reserved for us. This is the sermon today. May God help us to be his faithful disciples. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the grace you have given us in your Son, Jesus. We come to you to humble ourselves, to confess our sinfulness, our weakness, and our neediness. Help us not rely on ourselves, but rely on our sufficient Christ, who has been faithful to you. O oh Lord, help us to be your faithful children in the time of trial, in the time of persecution. Give us grace to strengthen our heart to follow you. Please bless us all. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the church house located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.